Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. It is immediately after the Tuesday night game against the Clippers. Um, I was just at the game, so I literally just walked in the door and sat down. How was it? Uh, Dave's, it, it was, I mean, okay. I'll be totally honest, win or lose, it was a blast. I was sitting right by the court. I was like three rows back from the court. So I was really close. I was right by the bench. I got to see up close. It was really fun. It's just a fun environment to be in. I always really love to see good basketball. And it it never ceases to amaze me how big these guys are. And I, I mean, I literally work with basketball players. I, this is not, I should not be surprised by this, but it never fails to amaze me at how, how big they are and just how skilled they are. I mean, even, even when they're playing terribly, which I don't think they played terribly, um, but even when they're playing terribly, they are so skilled. And I think when you see it up close like that, you're reminded of that. I think when, you know, when you watch it on TV, it's really easy to forget really how skilled they are but so i all in all it was it was really fun but hold on before we start really start we have to say this this is episode 52 which means that today is the year anniversary of when we started well i don't know if it was today but we've now done it well yeah it would be because it's 52 weeks so we've done it for 52 weeks we've done this for exactly a year 52 podcasts we've done we haven't skipped a week i think that's really cool that's the way podcasts go. I, I must confess, I have another one that's at 144 will be next week. So we're still kind of baby teenage podcasters as far as, you know, that goes. But uh, it is awesome. I mean, it. let's put it this way. It doesn't feel like 52 weeks. feels like we've done maybe 25 of these. Just yeah. like it feels like we talk for like 15 minutes and all of a sudden <laughs> we look at the clock and it's an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. So uh, either we're really ignorant and bad at time which is possible, or this is, is a lot of fun. And I choose to believe the latter. It might be a little of both. <laughs> That's right. Our ignorance and sense of fun combine to, yes, exactly. How are you, Dave? How's it going? I mean, it, it's going okay. This Clippers game, I thought, was better to watch than any of the ones the Blazers have played since we last talked. And when we last talked, they had lost to Philadelphia. And they were going to play the Cavaliers. We thought that they would win that game. They ended up losing by three because of what I'd call radical indifference. I mean, they, they did, had some good moments, had some bad moments in that game, but it wasn't. It wasn't enough. They were just kind of tapioca without the fun little bubbles in it. So, like, ah, they were like, uh, you know, that, let's put it this way. Do you ever, we talk about food all the time, but I'd never ask you about like Chinese food buffets. Do you like the Chinese buffets? I don't like buffets in general. It, okay. It, that does not surprise me. They were yeah. always fun with my kids. I always did this, right? So uh, I remember clearly, uh, we used to live about 13 miles away from the town with the movie theater. And I would take my little son when he was young to go see a movie. 
But then right down the street from the movie theater on the way home was the uh, Golden Corral or whether, whatever the buffet was. And so we'd stop and eat at the walk-around place. And he got to choose whatever he wanted, and I'd hold his plate and put it, and we'd sit and we'd talk, and it was great. So I have a great affection for buffets because my kids love them. In any case, if you've been to the Chinese food buffet, you know that there are great things like General Tso's chicken and sesame chicken and all the kinds of chicken. I mean, they're just fantastic. Can't get enough of them. But then there's like the dessert bar. And the dessert bar has some orange slices and some bananas that are usually colored red for some reason. And then there's the vat of pudding. And you know this vat of pudding has not been touched since 1976. And it's just kind of yellow and sitting there. And it's, it's kind of it's sweet, I guess, if you eat it by mistake. But it's just... Ah. And it's just there. That's it. And the Blazers played against the Cavaliers like that vat of Chinese buffet pudding. I mean, it was, there were some sweet moments, but it was not something that you would go back for. It's not something that you want to see there. It was not remarkable in any way. And the shorthanded Cavaliers racked them up. <laughs> just like the shorthanded Sixers did. The only team well, that's been shorthanded that hasn't stomped all over the Blazers lately has been the Lakers, and they were sh so shorthanded that they basically had no team. They were, at that point, the worst team in the league. At least the Blazers managed to beat them. I guess that's good. Well, that was a mental picture. <laughs> well, no, it was a good mental picture of that Cavs game, too. I mean, yeah, they came back. They were within three. I get it. But bleh, it's just... You don't yeah. even care about. It. You just look right past it. You don't even consider taking any. But let's let's talk for a second about the Laker game because we beat them. We beat them really good. And I don't care that they're shorthanded. We still beat them and I will take a Laker win any day of the week. That was nice. I, I liked that a lot. Even though they beat your guy Carmelo Anthony? I can't have it both ways, and, and I'd, I'm always going to pick a Laker loss over a Carmelo Anthony win. Wow. But that being said, I really miss Melo, and I'm really, really tired of this narrative where everybody apparently forgot that Portland existed. Look, I thought I think actually Melo has had the chance to shine with LeBron and AD either going yeah. down or having struggles. And I like that. That's great, actually. The yeah, guy that, absolutely. The guy that's killing them is Russell Westbrook. But we called that like from moment one. Like, I, I think right. we talked when when they got him. It's like, what the I heck is going to happen there? Because I'm not sure if it was on the podcast, but I know we definitely talked about it. Yeah, that was, that was you could see that mistake coming for a long ways away. Yeah. But the thing is that it, for a second, it looked like without LeBron, that Russ was going to be able to shine. And then, no, that's not true. But I mean, Honestly, though, shorthanded, I mean, without LeBron and AD, it's not shorthanded against the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers were short arm, short leg, had no shoes, <laughs> you know, crazy yeah. glue, their their armpits, so they couldn't shoot. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, that was just but, but an awful isn't that kind of isn't that kind of the narrative they built up over the offseason was that they, like, that's why they brought in Russ and, and so that they could, when LeBron was hurt or needed to rest, that they would still have a solid team like oh, wasn't God, that no. kind of the narrative no oh i don't know who said that but oh i was he i feel like i was hearing things about that 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 was kind of like no well you live in la so maybe it's the land of the delusional so i mean that hey, is for sure you know maybe somebody said that but you maybe. cannot believe you're going to bring in rachel rondo and russell westbrook 
and they're going to play together. Uh, and then, you know, Carmelo too, and all that. You, you can't believe that that's any kind of substitute for LeBron. Basically, what you're doing is you're taking LeBron out for like 12 minutes a game, and you're throwing the Olympics team of 1996 in there <laughs> and saying, well, that's going to make up for those 12 minutes, which they probably can. But not not if LeBron's down. Yes. I mean, there's no there's no center to that team anymore. There's no there's no oomph. There's no the defense only has to key then on Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis can mostly be single covered because he might score thirty six, but no one else is going to score thirteen between them. So. Yeah, that's they've got to have LeBron or that team is, like I said, it's the worst team in the NBA if he and AD are down. It's one of the worst. It's not a playoff team if just AD is there and LeBron isn't. I've seen a lot of this whole thing about Melo. And, you know, I mean, everybody's talking about how, oh, I can't believe he didn't play in the league for a year. He was out of the league for a while. And he's and it's like they're just kind of forgetting that he ever played in Portland. And I know that they're not like they're saying he was out for a year and they just aren't talking about the time in Portland. But it's I think as a Portland fan, it's super frustrating to watch that happen because it's like we were the ones who gave him a chance. Like no one else wanted him. No one else was giving him a chance. And we took him in like you could have taken him then like he probably would have gone and played for the Lakers if you'd asked him to at that point but you didn't we did and so like why are we forgetting this you know it was such a cool thing to get to be a part of and it makes me sad that it's getting kind of just brushed to the side well, I mean, it was cooler for the Blazers than it was for Carmelo or anyone else, though. I mean, yes, the the national media had some narrative with it. And, of course, the broadcasters and podcasters, when the Blazers played in the playoffs, sure. But that was because they had to talk about something in Portland. And, you know, how often can you talk about Damian Lillard before you're done? So... Carmelo got some play there, but ultimately no one really cared that he played in Portland. It was just an interesting kind of sideshow. In LA, obviously, the microscope is going to be focused tighter on him, but at the same time, he's not going to make the same kind of difference, probably. I mean, again, either LeBron's yeah. going to carry that team and Carmelo is also a nice little story, or LeBron's not and Carmelo doesn't matter. So I think he made more difference to the Blazers than he ultimately will to the Lakers, but nobody cares because it's Portland. Well, and, and the truth is he's playing better there than he was in Portland. He's playing significant minutes and he's playing, he's scoring significant points and, you know, he's, he's doing well there. So, well, and they can't suck. That. I mean, that's, that's because LeBron isn't, you know, isn't there yet. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues, if they actually get good and make a run for a title. Can they yeah. absorb him and how much can they absorb him? But I just look, Okay, yeah, D Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo and Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook. This looks good on paper, right? But you cannot believe that all those former stars and starters are going to be what they were in 10 minutes per game or 15 minutes per game. And if they're not what they were, they weren't the blue-collar guys, most of them, or even the ones that were, were partially because of their athleticism, which now is gone because they're old. So, I mean, I trust Dwight Howard to, to fill that role, but everybody else either comes with significant drawbacks or is going to, like, try to exceed the role that you want for them. It's a tough situation for them. I don't, I don't think L.A. did the, did the right thing. Thankfully, we're not Laker fans. Yeah. We get to root for the Blazers instead. <laughs> yeah. 
would I rather be a Kings fan or a Lakers fan? I mean, it's literally that's how far you have to dig down to where, like, would I rather blow the draft every year and spend eternity in purgatory? Uh, or uh, would I rather be a Lakers fan, win an occasional championship, but have to do it with that? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, I would never. The answer is never for me. I would rather be a Lakers fan. Or rather be They're Kings my fan? 30th favorite team in the league. Right. Yeah, I got it. So yeah. I mean Minnesota um, too. I mean, uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> that's random. Minnesota. No, Minnesota is the other team that's just can't get out of its own way. It's terrible. You know, bad culture. Even when they make the right move, it doesn't work out. They got a what could have been a generational superstar in Carl Anthony Towns, and yeah, he's like true. rotting on the vine. I'm, um, you know, ah. True. I well, I mean, you you see issues like that other play. I mean, you, the Seventy Sixers, even though they're winning, they've got issues too. You know, they've got it. I wouldn't want to be a part of that fan base. That fan base is. Oh, you know, what we should do sometime. We should talk about what? Ben Simmons. Should we? Yeah. Is it, I mean, have we have we ever talked about him on this podcast before? I, don't, I, don't I feel know. like the he's name, never been mentioned. Familiar. They're doing pretty good without him, though. So I mean, they that are. too may be. You know, hey, hey, That's you know telling. what, Daryl Morey, that could be. You could add essentially for free here. CJ McCollum. Man. Mm-hmm. No, I no. Let's not. Let's not talk about that. I just. Okay. I just loved watching him. I don't want to. Sure, um, but no. like someday. Um, someday we'll talk about Ben Simmons. I'm sure. Maybe someday. <laughs> and food. <laughs> yeah, because that's never a topic either. So we're at the point now where we have no road wins, not one. We have won a lot of home games, but not one road win, which is bad news considering the fact that. We are, or maybe good news. I mean, maybe we're due, but we've got three more road games ahead of us here coming up this week in the next, you know, eight, seven, six days, something like that. So, I <laughs> sounds like a countdown: eight, seven, six, five, disaster. <laughs> well, there was there's four there's four in a matter of I think seven days, and we just had one. So of course there is um, something like that but yeah no no wins on the road at this point which is a little concerning this i know again i know we're only what 11 games in right now i think yeah five and six so it's not you know by the time this podcast airs we will play the suns tomorrow mm-hmm. do we play on no yeah, we don't play, play the suns games. tomorrow so we're so going to leapfrog a game. So you guys all know what happened. Last time that yeah. happened, we predicted the Blazers would beat Cleveland, and they didn't quite do it. They so maybe not. this time we should say, oh, there's no way they beat the Suns. No, I think they'll they're, win. They're going to go. No, no, Dia. They're reverse due. curse them. Reverse curse them. Come on. Last time we said they beat uh, the Cavs, and they lost. So we need to say, oh. no way. There's no way they can win. By possibly. this reasoning, I'm not allowed to watch Blazer games anymore because I didn't watch the one that they – was it the last one that they won? The Pacers? I didn't watch – yeah, I think it was the Pacers. It was one of those that I couldn't. No, the Laker game. It was the Laker game because it was blocked out in my area. Oh yeah, I that's couldn't right. watch it, and so then it was like, well, maybe I just maybe if I'm superstitious, maybe I just shouldn't watch any games anymore. You know what actually saved that game was that they had blown out you know Phoenix and L.A. the Clippers earlier in the season, and then ended up with that oatmeal mush of, of, of a road trip and so now when they beat the Lakers they were shorthanded instead of going they're turning it around everybody's going like yeah we'll see which is actually what this team needs you know yeah we'll see uh, like the team look yeah they've, they've had individual efforts they should be proud of there are several Blazers I think I mean 
Nasir Little can't get enough of him. Yusuf Nurkic against the Clippers oh, yeah. was great. Uh, Damian Lillard against the Clippers had a pretty good fourth quarter until he appeared to aggravate whatever is going on with them. But he came out yeah. ready for Dame time, and then the clock stopped. But uh, and you, uh, Norman Powell in this Clippers game actually had a huge first half. Defended Paul George, okay, because they they wanted to keep Paul George outside. And they wanted to let him make him not penetrate. If he's going to score, score over the top. And Robert Covington couldn't keep him in front of him. So they switched Norman Powell over to him. And Norman Powell did it. And not only did Norman Powell do it, Norman Powell outscored Paul George 16-14 to 14 in the first half and also drew fouls against him so that George was perpetually in foul trouble. That was a great, great, great half from Norman Powell and one of the best games we've seen from him. So there are lots of things to be excited about. It's just they're, they're coming up like popcorn in different parts of the machine. None of them are in the bag covered with butter and ready to consume and turn into a win. Somehow the Blazers got to put this together. Well, and it, it adds insult to injury, literally, because now we've got Dame who's struggling with, you know, an injury that seems to continue to bother him. Like you said, he started out, you know, coming out and doing really well in the fourth quarter. And then it, he appeared to go up hard and and pull something or something like that it's something tweaked you, you could see him kind of grabbing his his middle and um seemingly in pain and then it seemed to kind of slow him down so that's a, a frustrating situation because there's a sense in which you want him to rest you know, he needs that rest and I feel like you might as well do it now while we're in this kind of weird place let him rest we've got people that can play and get him healthy because if you can't if if he just keeps doing this and keeps playing on this and keeps irritating it it's going to end up being a bigger problem down the road well and it's not like they're winning with him i mean they're five and six with granted cleveland and sacramento were winnable games but the fact that those games were close either way is kind of an indictment They've had some some sketchy wins, too. I mean, that Indiana win was no prize pig right there. And, you know, L.A., had they not been super shorthanded, would have been much more of a contest. I mean, they, they haven't had a lot of wins. They've had like three or four that, well, I guess they're, they're only five wins. So they've had three wins that you could probably really bank on. And, yeah. and the other two were eh. And the losses were all eh. And so... Dame playing at this level is resulting in a lot of middle ground, not productive stuff. So I tend to agree with you. Let let everybody else get run in the beginning of the season. Let them gel. Bring Dame back in. Granted, that's going to cause a disruption of sorts. But at least you got guys like Nasir Little and Anthony Simons who will get real minutes under their belt. And then even maybe a couple of deeper bench players will get a little bit run of run. And then you come back able to play 10 or 11 deep if you need to, as opposed to riding your top eight uh, all the time. And not even that. I mean, t tonight against the Clippers, Dame played 40 minutes almost. He played 39. Yeah, uh, and that's on the first night of a back-to-back. -back. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. If it's going to be five and six anyway, sit him down yeah. until he heals. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. I mean, you don't you obviously want him to play, but you also want him to be okay. And I think I think we're deep enough this season that we will be okay. As you know, I I think they'll adjust around it. But you got to give him rest. You got to give him that opportunity to to heal. 
Um, I don't know. Hopefully we'll see that. Hopefully we'll see that. Yeah. I mean, look, Norman Powell, again, playing really well. CJ McCollum is actually playing really well too. Now he's had some down light nights lately. And what concerns me a little bit is Damon CJ. Now we've seen like all four car guards hit in the same game. So I don't want to say they're never productive at the same time, but Damon CJ are kind of at an either or place right now. It feels like the last week or so. Uh, and CJ has been dominant in taking that lead and that's great. He's really succeeded at it. But when Dame has then stepped in, CJ has stepped back. And when CJ has stepped up, Dame appears to have stepped back. That's not what we're used to seeing, and that's not their magic. So, yeah. like, there's things that the pistons aren't all firing together. Uh, and there, there's, like, the engine is missing. There's a knock in the engine there. And then it's it's like a 12-cylinder, at least an 8-cylinder. I mean, because you got use of Nurkic, who's kind of the same way, sometimes into the game, sometimes out. Robert Covington has been coming on strong. At least that one's firing. But Larry Nance Jr. still hasn't gotten traction, really. Nasir Little is doing great in the minutes he has. So, it's like, you got you got three pistons firing like all the time and then you've got two that are kind of either or and then some that only fire sometimes this still isn't together yeah you know i mean we have a lot of really good pieces if you take any individual from this team you can sit there and name a lot of things that they're really good at and a lot of you know i mean they're all you pull up you pull this team apart and start looking at individuals and you've got great players you've got great pieces here it's just a matter of getting everybody on the same page at the same time and if we could if we could do that if we could get everyone on the same page at the same time playing the way that we've seen them play we would be a really good team but it just seems to be a struggle to do that and i am with you i can't really put a finger on it but but you're exactly right we see them kind of do this back and forth dance where you know one of them takes it, it's like they don't know how to play at full power together it's like they it, you know one of them goes and then the other like you said backs off and so it's just it's interesting it, it's interesting it's not i I hope they figure that out, whatever it is, and, and can kind of figure out how to do it 100% all at the same time. Yeah, there are two factors, really, I think, or maybe two and a half. One is, when they meet no resistance, they look really good. And for better or worse, there have been some nights. The Lakers was one, obviously, because the Lakers were seriously undermanned. But even that first Phoenix game, when Phoenix came in, like, exhausted, and the Clippers just came in and were totally flat and did nothing. And if you do not defend the Blazers well, the Blazers will be beat you. I mean, they won't just beat you. They'll destroy you because they are trying to pass and they are trying to share the ball and they do have a lot of talent and they're willing to set each other up. All those things mean that they can run up the score against no defense. Okay. So that is there. But when the opponent puts up a fight, the Blazers tend to struggle. They tend to struggle because a lot of the plays that they want to run don't happen, but even more, they tend to struggle because their defense is still not quite good enough to hold the fort. So they get pressured, they get in trouble, they start looking at each other, I think, and going, okay, this game's in peril, what are we going to do? And ultimately, the, the answer to that is, okay, it's Dame time, it's CJ time, right. it's whatever, right. right? And then it kind of starts breaking apart. So whenever they get under pressure and have to try to save a game, that's when it starts not firing all at once, and their defense is still not good enough to keep them out of that situation consistently. It's like they need a hero. 
all the time. Like there always has to be a hero and that's not the best thing. Like it would be great if we could not do that. It would be great if we could just all play together. (laughs) Well, and and, and again, it's the defense that that causes you not to need one. Your defense is what saves you when you're not playing well, because at least you can do that consistently. Now, there's been noise about, well, the Blazers do have the defense they want. It's kind of 15th or whatever it is, middle of the road in the NBA. That's good enough if they have a top 10 offense. Well, first of all, no. Uh, We talked about this the other day with someone else, actually, in an interview. The top 10 offense is not the Blazers' criteria. It's like top four, top two, ideally. That would be like awesome. That would be elite. That's really what makes them special. So top 10, forget that noise. But even more, middle-of-the-road defense only works when you have the top two offense. But also, the variance. I mean, because some nights they've really held their opponents down, and some nights they've gotten blown out. And it's been like that roller coaster, right? Um, It's starting to normalize a little bit, but there's nowhere near enough games where you can start saying they have this defense. It really varies from night to night. And when they don't have that defensive consistency, they're always going to need a hero unless just everybody's hitting their three-pointers. So they're causing their own problem. (laughs) They're causing their own need. And they still haven't solved that. Yeah, I mean, we've seen some really good defense. I keep thinking like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe here we go. Like, maybe there's some improvement here. We've seen some good defense. I just... Yeah, but it's a bad it's a bad relationship, Dia. It's a, it's it's you know how when you get into a bad relationship, you hang on really good to the like the peaks. Oh, he brought me roses, or oh, he did this right, you know. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. look, I don't want to drift into icky territory. I'm saying even in a relationship that's kind of not working, and you're trying to save it, yeah, you tend to do that. You try to hold on as as tight as you can to the good times. I can do that. I can do that with Nasir Little. Easy. I can do that with Robert Covington interceptions and Yusuf Nurkic blocks. I can even do that with Anthony Simons, who's made some pretty good stands in context. But you know what? I'm pointing out a play in a quarter, <laughs> you know, of a game. If you look at the aggregate of it, I mean, they allowed the Clippers to shoot over 50% from the field and over 50% yeah. from the arc tonight. That ain't good. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting going into the season. I always expect a lot. I always expect that we're going to be a championship team. Every year I expect that. But, you know, I mean, they did a good job convincing me. I drank the Kool-Aid this this offseason, even in the midst of all the controversy. You know, I thought, okay, new coaching staff, new way of doing things. Maybe this will be it. And then they had that a couple tough games, and then they came out and had a couple really good games. And I thought, okay, here we are. Here we go. That's starting to click. But it's it's just continued to be a roller coaster and really Really, like, what difference is that from last year? Is there going to be a difference over time? Is there going to be a point where it clicks and that becomes more consistent? Or are we going to continue to be on the same roller coaster ride that we've been on for years as Blazer fans? Yeah, uh, there's going to be more Kool-Aid. They're going to win six of seven. They're going to win seven of ten. That's that's going to happen. Again, that's not the point, especially when you've gotten five and five to start the season or five and six now. You drag, you put chains or bowling balls on your feet when you when you're making that six of seven run because of the what you did before if you if you'd gone you know six of seven twice now all of a sudden you'd look great but five of six and then six of seven ends up slightly better than than 500 but let's ask you this dia though let's do this what have you really liked about this season i mean even with the five and six starts even with the inconsistency what is what stood out to you is like this is really sparkly I like the bench. 
I think after last year's bench, I really liked the people on last year's bench, but together they didn't really work well. And so every time they'd go in, I'd, I'd feel a little panicked because even if we'd made, if we, if we made ground, made, that's not the right saying made up ground, hmm. made up ground, or something. we would lose, we would lose it or mm-hmm. it wouldn't go well. And, and, you know, if we were behind, we would get more behind. And so I really like that this year, the bench is a little bit more dependable. I don't feel that when they go in, when they start pulling those players in, I don't, I don't feel that. I feel like, okay, we're going to be okay. Like they're going to at least keep us you know, basically where we are. We're not going to lose. Even if we don't gain, we're not going to lose ground. The other thing that I that I like is I, li- I do like that Chauncey seems to try different lineups. It's not just the starters and then the bench. It's not just the, you know, he'll, he'll kind of, it almost feels like he's, you know, he kind of rotates players in so they're not like we're seeing some lineups kind of wanted to see and instead of just having you know Dame and CJ Norm on the floor all the time when we have that many guards plus we have Ant and you know we I mean we have a lot of really good talent in that in that position and so I like that we're kind of seeing different combinations of that instead of just leaving them all on the floor at the same time I like Nasir Little Nasir Little is a huge bright spot on this team I feel like he's grown and improved uh, a very big amount he's really really doing well um and i really like to see that he's really doing well so I, i've been really happy with him as well and ant i mean ant has improved greatly as well you know anthony simons and nasir little have been two guys that were you know that until this year still felt really young and all of a sudden this year it feels like they're kind of blossoming and coming into their own and and becoming these really solid players so I think there's definitely good here, for sure. There's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I would echo you. Second unit, I'm excited. I'm I'm great yeah. seeing the second unit come in. And in fact, in fact I, I expect half the time the game picks up. There have been games where the starting lineup has been flat, but the second unit has come in and picked them up. And yeah. that, that's unheard of. That's what the hey, that's not Portland. So I right. love that. And I think it's because of exactly the guys you named. N- Nasir Little, Anthony Simons, huge, huge. Yep. Simons has been big. I mean, Larry Nance Jr. is always going to give effort. I've, I've liked, look, I, honestly, I'd say C- minus compared to what I expected the impact he would have. But I think that grade's going to go up hugely uh, once the Blazers get their act together a little more. So love that. Um, I've loved certain games from Nurkic. I've loved a lot of what McCollum has done. A lot. Uh, He's been spectacular. And, and, you know, Dame is obviously the big missing spot here. I mean, that's the the elephant in the room right there. And it's it's not just an elephant. It's a whole circus over there in the corner uh, waiting to be discussed. And I know we've talked about slump and stuff like that, but the impact on the team it's like they're digging out of a hole before they even start. So, hey, you know, but oh, also, Norman Powell. Norman Powell, this Clippers game for Norman Powell, I just said it, was fantastic. And he's had a couple of really good efforts. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of really positive stuff going on. But I think the main one, really, I've asked me to pick one, and it's Simons. Because I think he and Coach Billups just seem to, I think, 
uh, Coach Billups probably sees something in Anthony that's both good and reminds him a little bit of himself or something like that. It seems like they have a special thing going on. So I, I like what Ant has done. And Nasir Little would be number two. And probably Nurkic maybe number three. Powell might be vying for that. Yeah, I think for sure. I, I mean, there's, again, a lot of really good talent here. It's just a matter of of getting it together. I think we're seeing improvement with guys that were there last season. But you're right. There are some that we're struggling with a little bit that played better last season. So, again, it's just really a matter of getting everybody on the same page. Ooh, rebounding, too. Oh, boy, has this team turned it around. Everybody's rebound. The guards are rebound. The forwards are rebound. Nurk is a monster on the board. I mean, he's getting near Ennis Kander territory sometimes. So not on the offensive glass, but in aggregate rebounds. The, the rebounding has become a real strength for Portland again, and that hasn't been true since midway through the LaMarcus Aldridge era. I mean, if yeah. you go back to Greg Oden and, and LaMarcus before they were really dominant on the boards. Now, statistically, again, it's too soon, and that's not really showing up. But you look at them, you realize all of a sudden, hey, it's been forever since the opponent has gotten anywhere near a rebound. That's really a powerful strength for them, and I like that as well. So there's there's good. It's really easy to get caught up in this, but I think it's it's important to remember we're early in the season. Still, we're 10, 11 games, I think 11 now, games in, and and there's still a lot of season to play. So, and we're at, at close to 50%. I don't know what our what our win-loss record is, but I feel like every time we do the podcast, it's been two wins and two losses. So we've got to be around. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're five that. and six now if they win in Phoenix yeah, tomorrow. So I mean, of course, go. they're going to get, oh, sorry, they're going to get blown out in Phoenix tomorrow. It's going to be terrible. They have no shot. Now, if they if we reverse curse them and they win in Phoenix tomorrow, <laughs> then they'll be exactly 500. But see, this is the thing is that, look, even to get to 50 wins, every, every and they need more than 50, right? I mean, we really, we want like 54, 55 to really make a stamp. To even get to 50, every time you go 500 through a 10-game stretch, that puts more pressure on the rest of the games to have a significant winning percentage. Now, it's way too early, as you say. We're only one-eighth of the way through the season. But we are one-eighth of the way through the season, and that one-eighth has been a wash. Okay. Yeah. So you can't wash the next one eighth and then, you know, you True. sure can't wash three eighths of the season and then try to try to get it back. That's not going to happen. So, I mean, no matter what Portland does with their comeback and stuff, which they always do every year, but blah, blah. You've got to make it easier for yourself later by doing a little better right now. Is this the point in the season where I need to say we just have to get to the playoffs? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that was pretty good. I. We need a T-shirt with that. We need Dia-isms. We could sell. We could sell shirts. A lot of podcasts sell shirts. I feel like there's a lot of things that would come out of this podcast that we could put on a shirt. Rainbows Some of and them unicorns. Better than others. Tapioca pudding. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Larry uh, Nance is a waffle. Larry Nance is a waffle. He is a waffle. The thing is, they haven't toasted him yet. He hasn't got the right heat oh, around him. He needs some strawberries. Um. <laughs> So with all this stuff comes, you know, it wouldn't be the Blazers if there wasn't a controversy, which is not something I would have said a year ago. A year ago, I would have said the opposite. 
but we are in the midst of um, kind of a big bombshell that that broke this week, this last week since we last recorded. General Manager Neil Olshay is currently under an investigation. Wait, hold on. For- President of Basketball Operations. That's very important that we address him with the right title. That's been a sore spot over the years. Really? Don't call him General Manager. He is President of Basketball Operations. Okay. Sorry, I'm not well, yelling at you. That's my sarcasm font. That's well that. Anyway, Neil, we all know who he is. Yes. Um he is this is I have to maintain I have to not be snarky. He's under investigation right now for creating a toxic work environment. Not a lot of details have been released, um, but as this story continues to be talked about and as the investigation has become public uh, people are starting to come forward with their own personal stories of of their interactions with Neil Uh, and it's not looking great for him Um, there's nothing you know I I do want to say that at this point there's nothing that's been mentioned that is illegal or anything that you know uh, at least as far as I know that that would be more than just him losing his job but it's some serious allegations still and it very well may cost him his job i think it's one of those things that we have to first and foremost say like i've heard as as i've watched this unfold i've heard a lot of people's comments about how oh what he just cusses at people and now they're complaining about it and blah 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 or you know well we're just all soft crybabies now and you know I, i hear things like that and um, I think there's a couple things I want to say about this, and then we can go into the whole conversation, Dave. Um, but I think it's important to say a couple things. First of all, sports in general is a very, this kind of thing is not uncommon. It's not uncommon to meet personalities, I guess, if that's what you want to call this, like this, that are, you know, where where these kinds of things happen. It's not uncommon. But not uncommon is not the standard that we should be holding people to. Um, just because something is common doesn't mean it's right. And I think that in a situation like this where something tends to be a little bit more, I guess, accepted, um, it, it makes it harder for people to speak up. And when people don't speak up, the behavior continues. So it's this cycle of in sports, there are are bad behaviors by people in power. And because of that, and because of the fact that it's just kind of accepted in a sense, the people who are being treated badly have a hard time speaking up. And, and you know, sometimes their jobs are threatened or they're afraid that they will no longer have a job or be able to work doing what they love. And it's a competitive industry. And so if you, that's a big risk. But because then those people won't speak up or are struggling to speak up, then that behavior continues. So it's a cycle. So I think that what's happening here is important and it's an important conversation on a bigger level of of the fact that just because something is common, I don't want to say normal, just because something is common or happens frequently or even happens at all does not mean that that's the standard and we should accept it. Um, People should be able to be in a workplace environment and be treated with respect. That should be the minimum requirement. That should not be something that is questioned. 
So with that, I, I just think it's important to say that because I think it's important to get this narrative of, well, people are being crybabies or they need to toughen up or whatever. Like there are people who have been hurt in this um, that are coming forward with their stories of how they've been treated badly. And I think that that's always something that's important to hear. Well, let's pretend for a minute that that's all it is. I think it's not, but let's, let's just take that argument on face value. There are some workplaces in which that is part of the culture. You think of, for instance, the military, where, you know, four-letter words are, are 82% of the vocabulary. And your drill sergeant is probably going to say some choice things to you or whatever branch you call, whatever the equivalent is in your branch. At the same time, there is a understanding that the reason that that atmosphere exists is for something greater than the person doing the the pressure giving and the, the, the swearing or the whatever, right? In other words, your drill instructor is swearing at you to get you over a wall that you wouldn't be able to go over and to get the entire group over that wall so that they can then come through this time of stress in better shape. It is for theoretically a greater good you know what i mean a greater and i'm not saying abuse hasn't happened in the military either it has they've toned down on that it but you said, absolutely does oh yeah of course it does but there's in theory right there it's it's more accepted because you understand that there's a there's a light at the end of that tunnel it's for something beyond just the authority and person of the person employing that language but then there is the kind of toxicity or verbal abuse that is about the person who is employing it. And I think we all have experienced those. That you know, there's a difference between someone going off on you as a boss because something has really gone wrong, that it needs to be fixed, and we all are pulling together to get this fixed, and then that incident is done. It's circumstantial. It's about the thing, right? But then it's done. And the boss who just habitually does this because that's the way the boss is, because that's the way they submit their authority to keep you insecure and to keep you guessing and to wear you down because that's what their authority is based on, is your insecurity and your fear of them. Very different things. None of us were there, and that's a point I'm going to make in a minute, but with everything we know about Neil Olshay, publicly even, when he's on his best behavior... <laughs> Which one of those do you think this is? I mean, there's not much doubt in my mind which one of those this is about. Is this about some greater good or is this about Neil Olshay? All I know is just about every word that I've heard from him publicly in a press conference describing anything has been about 82% about Neil Olshay at best and 18% about something greater. So I am doubting at this point. I, I don't think he has the credit to where we'd go, oh, you know, give him a break and everybody's soft and everybody swears and it's just whatever. And it's not really, you know, it's, it's for a greater good. And no, no, sorry. Uh, you just, you haven't earned that with me anyway. Not that I'm in a judgment position. But even if you were to make that argument, there's a difference between swearing and swearing. And this seems like even if that's all that's happening, it's, it's the bad kind. And I don't think that's all that's happening. 
Well, and when you're talking about a military situation, you're literally talking about life and death. That's not what we're talking about with basketball. It's not life and death. And there's not a situation in a, in a, in a place like that that constitutes regular behavior that, that is what's being reported. There's just not. That, that shouldn't be acceptable. And I think that you know, people in positions of power should be held to a higher standard. You should be treating the people below you with respect. There's no reason not to. And I, I just think that that's an issue. They're obviously in the middle of this investigation still. Nothing has been made public. There's been no official statements. What we're hearing is stories. We're hearing um, Chris Haynes has posted a couple articles about it that have had very few details, although some, but not a lot. And then now people are coming forward with their own stories. But my guess is we are not going to hear the worst of it, at least not until the investigation's over. Um, the stories that are of people that are coming forward are probably a minor bit of what's actually happened uh, because because who's going to come forward with the the stuff that's worse than that when they're watching people get ripped apart for this? You know, the people are getting ripped apart for telling their stories and I think you know in in the midst of all this stuff they're going to unearth whatever has been going on and they're going to have to deal with that but it would not surprise me if those details are not made public, maybe even ever. Um, and I don't know that they necessarily need to be, but I do think that in the coming days, we are going to find out that this was a little bit more serious than um, just yelling and cussing at people. Oh, I'm sure it's a lot more serious. I mean, not, I'm yeah. saying that without knowledge, but I, I have very little personal doubt that it's a lot more serious than that. But here's yeah. the thing. Those people, to the extent that they are speaking first, should probably speak to the investigators first properly. Right. Because they're the people who have action. I mean, public opinion is obviously not going to sway this uh, because it never has. And uh, you can argue appropriately so. Fine. But uh, th that means that appealing to the court of public opinion is not where those stories should go first. They should go where they're going to have the most power, which is in the investigation. Yeah. And until, and this is this is my greater concern, um, and why, you know, people are already asking what opinions I have on this, and they're asking for my thoughts and stuff like that. And here's my thing. My thoughts don't mean anything right now, because I haven't heard the stories of the people who matter. I've heard the stories of media people who want to pronounce judgment or want to explain things or whatever. And by the way, here's something I said on Twitter. When there's accusations of toxicity or any kind of abuse or whatever, it is not incumbent upon us to try to understand the person who is supposedly perpetrating that. It's not time for that story of the person who has been in power. They don't get to get centered first. Right. Uh, it is the job of that person to take feedback and stop that behavior. That is the job. Not to explain it, not to excuse it, not to decorate it with a hundred other facts, because you know what? I've known in other parts of my life, I have known abusive relationships, right? And, and I'm not saying that, that this would rise, that we don't know, right? But I'm talking about if there is abuse of any sort. The person perpetrating that abuse of power never wears a t-shirt that says, I am <laughs> abusive. Right.
they're literally your Sunday school teachers, your school board members, your respected pediatricians or whatever it is, right? They're places of prominence and they look good. That's how it hides. If they were naturally that way with everybody, (laughs) then everybody would point them out right away. They'd never get the chance. Instead, they look really good from this angle, but behind that angle, behind the scenes, bad things are going on. Therefore, it means nothing, nothing for someone to say, well, I go to church, or I do the this, or I did all these other things, or I gave that to charity, or whatever it is. In this case, until the stories of the vulnerable are heard, that kind of narrative is supporting of the wrong that might have been done. And the thing is, if there was no wrong done, fair enough. But then we could have told that after. We could have told that as a counterbalance right. after the, the stories had been told. To tell it before is dangerous. It's blind. Because you don't know. We've not heard what's been going on. And all of a sudden, you're by proxy justifying the person who is doing this and making them look good and saying, well, there are two sides, as if those sides are equal. Where there's toxicity or if there's abuse, there's not two sides. That is wrong. End of story. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I mean, anytime you're dealing with potential abuse, essentially, because from, I mean, we can talk about toxic work environment, but some of what's being detailed is is verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And that doesn't just happen in, you know, romantic relationships. Um, that can happen in, in other kinds of relationships. And I think anytime you're talking about something like that, it, it's when people start jumping to the defense of the person who's, in this case, under an an ongoing investigation, uh, it's just not a great look for anybody. And I think especially with media, you know, Neil has been pushy about media. And if he doesn't like what's said about him or he doesn't like the way that things are are done, he will threaten access. And I think that looks like different things and it means different things depending on what the situation is. But even, I mean, stories of that have come out. And I think I think that there are probably people who cover the team who are trying to stay in Neil's good graces in case he makes it through this. Because the fact of the matter is that that what's what other point is there? What other point is there to coming out and being like, well, you know, I've never had these experiences with Neil. He seems like a pretty good guy to me. Like, if you're in this situation, why aren't you just quietly waiting to see or reporting on the on the facts of what's going on? Why are you offering your support to somebody when you don't know the whole story here? Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be currying favor. It could also be legitimately their experience, but that's not really the point because it's not time for someone who hasn't had the experience to be centered either. When it comes right down to it, Neil Olshay has not sworn at 6,999,999,990 or 900 anyway, people in the world. You could interview all almost 7 billion people and they would all say, nope, never happened to me. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. But you know right. what? When something yeah. like this happens, it's not time for those voices to be centered either. Right. The first voices to be centered are the voices of the vulnerable, the voices of the people who yeah. might have been hurt. And until those have been heard, media is not supposed to center itself. 
these other right. stories, these ancillary stories of justifying someone's character or whatever, or it's not supposed to center, be centered. And certainly the potential perpetrator is not supposed to be centered. As you said, the proper response to me is, here's the facts. We don't know. We'll cover them as, we, as they develop. Yeah. And when it seems like we have whatever the result is, then we can analyze that. At the end of the day... I've made personally no secret about the fact that I want Olshay gone. I think a lot of people who follow this team, who are fans of the team, have said the similar things. I mean, this has been an ongoing conversation for a while. That being said, I never, ever want that to be at the expense of someone else. I never want that to be because he's hurt someone else because, you know, I, I I would rather, you know, none of this happens and they just let him go. Honestly, I'd rather none of this happens and he stays. I don't want someone to be hurt. Um, so that's really disappointing. I think, you know, I don't think he'll survive this based off of what's out there. I, I think he's probably going to end up getting fired. That's just my guess. Um, but regardless, it, it's, it's, it's very sad to me that it has to be at the expense of someone else that he goes. I, I, I really think that's too bad. It, it makes me, it, my heart just goes out to those people who have had to deal with this and, and um, be in that position in order to stay in a job. Yeah, and that's the, the the sad part. If if all that happens, and if all this, if there's base to these accusations and whatever, the sad part will be if he is dismissed, the story will still be about him. About as you say, whether he survived it or not, a euphemism. Obviously, he's going to survive it physically. Yeah, you know, but very little, probably comparatively, will be said or remembered about those who had to survive every day. Right to simply have a job or pursue their dream about NBA, you know, working in the NBA or whatever it is, right? So this is imbalanced to begin with, which is part of the reason that it's incumbent upon all of us to hold off, to not imbalance it further in that way, to be very careful that we don't, when the scales are already tipped, you don't put your finger on the side that's already down. That's careless. Yeah. And especially when it potentially causes pain to other people when that scale tips. There's one other thing I want to point out, though, Dia, that's not basketball related, but that there's this whole, I mean, but it, it's related to this situation. And again, I do not wish to put any words in the mouths of people who have experienced Neil Olshay's whatever. I don't want to accuse or to make it more or less than it is. But I will say this, there's already in this narrative conflating of toxicity or what I would call some kind of abusive abusive power, right? And anger. I'm just an angry guy, right? right. We've already heard that, right? And we've heard it said, oh, it's because it's of my religion or it's because of my cultural background or whatever it is. This is not an uncommon thing to say. There's a difference between anger and toxicity or abuse. Everybody gets angry. Some people right. handle their anger differently than others. That right. is fair enough. Anyone you have any kind of relationship with, you're going to have to deal with that. Toxic, toxicity, verbal abuse, any kind of abuse, it's not about anger. It's right. about control. Right. It's about controlling other people to get your desired result. And anger is often a go-to method of control, but it is not in itself the issue. The issue is controlling right. Not anger. I had someone say to me once, 
and it stuck with me forever. We were talking about abusive issues. And someone had brought up anger management. And this person said, who's expert in the field, anger management is where toxic, abusive people go to learn how to disguise their abuse. Because they learn how to not let that public perception of anger leak out, but the control and the private anger still remains. In other words, they learn how to hide the impulse to control by eliminating or controlling publicly their anger. It does not at all address the problem. They're two completely different things. One could almost say that being angry is kind of being out of control, right? That's Nobody wants to be angry. When we're angry, we feel kind of out of control, out of control of our circumstances, out of control of our emotions, whatever. That's kind of what anger is. Not that most of us have boundaries on it. We limit it, right? So it doesn't end up being terrible. But when you feel angry, you feel like you're out of control. Toxicity and abuse is feeling like you're in control. They're complete opposite impulses. And don't let the narrative, if one is going on, if toxicity or abuse is going on, don't let the narrative of anger and emotion disguise that because that will be the sparkly hand of the magician saying, look over here, look over here, here's the trick. Meanwhile, that other hand underneath is still perpetuating the same thing. Yeah, it's been a rough few months for Blazer fans, for the organization. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I just, it's one of those things where, you know, you look at this and and this is a team that I've been a fan of for so long and I still am very much a fan. I mean, I know we do this and we cover the team and things like that, but I'm still very much a fan of this team. And, you know, one of the things that I've always, or that I've loved at least recently about this team is that they're good people. We have people of character. We have players that have character that conduct themselves well, that, you know, they they behave well. All the stuff that just happened with Jokic and um, Morris uh, the other night where they were pushing each other and whatever, like, I don't see that happening with Blazers. They're not doing that kind of stuff. These guys are good guys. They're doing good off the court. They're, they're a good team. They're good people. And you have people within the organization that are up front, that are in the public eye, and they're good people. They're people of character. And you see that over and over and over and over in this organization. And I've got just this weird mental picture right now where you have this like front facade that Neil has built of these good people. You know, he's he's reportedly said we draft people for character as well. Like he's made a point to put out this good front. And then behind the scenes where people aren't seeing it, you have this negativity, this toxicity, the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And it's so frustrating because at least if that was happening, you know, at least if we had if at least if it was happening in front of us, it wouldn't be so shocking. But it, it almost feels like we've been duped. <laughs> like there's this whole idea of this, you know, good character that at the at the root of of all of it is not good. Um, and I just think that between this and all this stuff this summer, like it's 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 been rough for fans who have who 
who like that aspect of this team, who like the fact that these are good people and we're cheering for good people. Like it's been rough with that. Um, also, just for the record, I'm not calling Jokic or Morris bad people. I'm just using right. that as an example of sure. behavior that isn't great. Right. And we don't see a lot of that, although we should say with an asterisk that we don't know entirely. And it's well, that's what I'm saying in front. Yeah, right. In the front. Yeah. It's possible that behind the scenes, players or whatever aren't as shiny as they seem. And that's fair. I mean, no one is perfect. Right. But you know what? Part of the inherent definition of good, there's a boundary. I mean, you, you don't have to be perfect. You can have bad days. You can do bad things sometimes. But there's a boundary. When there's repeated behavior that exercises power at the expense of the vulnerable or whatever, especially when you have control over those people, that's, that's a hard no. That's a, that's a boundary violation. And no amount of saying you're good or have done good things or you think good things or you believe good things, if that is happening, that actually, that definition of the bad you're doing kind of overwhelms whatever else you're saying at the moment. Because if it's not good for the most vulnerable among us, it's not supposed to be good. Right. And in, in this case, I mean, that may be happening. And by the way, if any player or any of us were to have that revealed and there was credibility to it, I wouldn't expect us to say, well, they're a good person. Otherwise, we might say that. But ultimately, the final referendum on whether they should be part of our organization or our circle is not all the good we thought they were or they said they were or they seemed to be. It was what they actually did. Yeah. And how it affected the world. And by the way, that's not a final sentence. There are other circles and there are other moments of life that they can go on. And if they stop that, then that's great. They will get other chances in other fields or other times. But you got to stop that first. You can't justify it. I was actually think about this, if it's okay. Um, because being divorced, I've done a fair amount of thought, for instance, on the effect of divorce on children. Because I have some, right? And some reading and some other stuff. And here's the thing. Divorce is not a great thing, especially for kids. I mean, usually. Sometimes it's necessary. I mean, obviously, in abusive relationships, it's a really good thing. But I'm saying that it's hard, right? Right. It's tough. That's it. Most kids are able to adjust when we are able to say, this is really hard. This kind of sucks. I feel for you. Uh, we'll walk together through this, but we'll, we'll tell the truth about, you know, this is not great for you right now, probably. Not great for me either. This is, this is sad then they're able to speak the sadness, to name the sadness, to process the sadness, to have confidence in the relationship. And, you know, it, it sucks. They do have a hard time, but they tend to get through that. And also, they tend to have a lot of good times also in new ways, and those are both legitimate. Where it bends is when the child feels that somehow the wrong that's being done is justified. Oh, we have to do this for the sake of this. Or, you know, that this is, um, um, you know, I feel this is a bad thing, but someone is telling me it's a good thing, or it's not that bad of a thing, or it's for my own good, or whatever it is. And they're not really listening to me, and I don't have power to affect this, and I'm being told the opposite of how I really perceive this, and that's reality, and my reality isn't true. At that point, the child has a hard time processing, and it breaks them. This is where you get the feeling of powerlessness, hopelessness, all this stuff. Now, I'm not suggesting that anyone involved in a situation like the Blazers are in is a child. But I think the lesson holds true for all of us. If you're going to be an ass and you say, 
I'm an ass and you, I'm going to treat you like this and then whatever. And that's public and everybody in the universe knows it, then everybody in the universe can make the decision about whether that's appropriate or not, including the people who work for you, including the people you work for, including all the people in the public who observe you. At least we know what we're dealing with. But when you say, you know what, I'm going to do all these bad things, but they're really good and I'm really good, and this is really good, and this is justified, that's when it breaks. Because people aren't able to deal with it in a way that's honest and that actually processes it, because there's conflicting messages. And the problem with the Blazers organization might not be just that this has gone on, but there's been apparently a decade of conflicting messages about it, which really leaves people feeling powerless, hopeless, sad, uh, put upon, unable to work there, or whatever it is. That's the real danger. It's not just the act. It's the untruths about the act. And that, too, I feel like there's some justification for saying untruths and half-truths have been part of the package here. And it's not entirely surprising to me, I guess, that there might be people who have suffered from that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is this is just a really tough situation. And I think you said it well, and I, I think we can leave it at that. You know, at the end of the day, um, I, I hope that the investigation is, is thorough. And I hope that um, the people who have been hurt are able to come back from that and to continue um, in a healthier environment. We at least would hear their voices if they speak and credit them, but also understand if they can't. We, we all need to fix this, in a sense. It, it's not just, not, it's not the burden of those who have been hurt to fix all the stuff. Supporting them is a good start. I, want, I don't want to pass before we talk about, you had a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful interview with Clyde Drexler's son, Adam. Yeah. Uh, beautiful photographs, by the way. We can see why you're a pro. Uh, Thank but you. also, just well-told story. And I mean, what, how was that? Talking with Adam Drexler. It was really cool. You know, Adam and I connected on social media and um, I'd asked him about shooting. I got to figure out a better way to say it, photographing him. And that was really cool. I, I talked about that a little bit, I think, on our last podcast. But in the process of that, you know, we sat down afterwards and he was telling me, stories and and we just got to talking and you know he's telling me stories about him and his life and how he ended up where he is and uh, stories about his dad and his time in the NBA stories I'd never heard before and we got done and I said has anyone ever told your story you know that that's not just about your dad and he said no not really and I said is that something you'd be interested in? And he said, well, if, you know, maybe if it's the right circumstance. And I said, well, would you let me do it? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I would. And so I ended up uh, talking with him again because I didn't record any of our first conversation. I want to make sure that I got things accurate. And so we sat down and, and he retold some of the same stories and I asked him some questions. And, um, you know, it was just really interesting. It was interesting to hear him talk about the fact that he had really a fairly normal childhood. Um, you know, his his parents didn't push basketball on him. He, they let him do what he wanted to do. He didn't even really start taking basketball seriously until he was a sophomore in high school. Um, one of my favorite things about it was the fact that 
he didn't really fully realize that his dad was his dad until he was in high school and he looked him up on YouTube. That's how he discovered that his dad was a, an NBA superstar. And I just <laughs> that's hilarious. It was just it was very interesting. If you haven't read the article, I would encourage you not because of my writing, but just because the stories are incredible that they just he told stories about Clyde, too, that I've never heard before. So it, it was really it was really good. It was really interesting. I think I packed most of the stories that he told me into that Um I don't think I left anything out that was significant, but it was really good. Really, really good. He was a great interview. You know, when you interview people, sometimes you have to really ask him a lot of questions to get something out of them. But with him, I would ask him a question and he would really expand on it and kind of even bring it back to basketball and life and how it tied in. I, I was amazed at all the ties that went with his story and the trailblazers. Um, just a lot of, a lot of, uh, parallels there. So it was really cool. It was really, it was really one of the, one of my favorite things I think I've ever probably written. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it was, it was a wonderful story. I, I laughed at that too. Hey dad, there's a younger version. who looks like you who's like, right. What the heck? Well, <laughs> and my, you? my, fa I think my very favorite story, actually I had two. The, the first one was this, the story that that opened it, that, you know, they had been leaving a, a big three event and um, his dad, you know, Clyde was kind of um, reminiscing about his NBA days and how people would ask for autographs and be waiting at doors for them and whatever else. And they went out the back door and they heard somebody yelling, Mr. Drexler, Mr. Drexler. And so Clyde turned around, you know, ready to to greet the fan and the fan ran right past Clyde Drexler to Adam and wanted Adam's autograph because he'd watched Adam play in Japan. And I just thought that was, that was, yeah, Adam said his dad didn't really know what to do with that. Um, and then the other thing that I, and I don't know how much I really touched on this, but I did a little bit, but he, he talked about how his dad was really, I mean, I remember Clyde being very happy and friendly and kind. And you always kind of wonder how much of that is real and he said it absolutely was. That is exactly who he was. And he said that there was a point where he kept being late. Clyde kept being late for everything. And they couldn't really figure out what was going on with him. And then they realized that the reason he was late was because fans would approach him. And instead of just signing an autograph and moving on, he would end up in conversations with them on the street. So everywhere he was going, he was having these conversations with fans and it was making him late. And Adam said they still have that issue with them today that when when they go places to eat or whatever else you know Clyde will just kind of invite people over and and bring them into whatever's going on and that was my experience you know I I got to meet Clyde um, a few months ago and I went up to him and started talking to him and he when our conversation ended he said my daughters are here come back over later and talk to us more you know he was just very inviting and very friendly and I think um, that just really is who he is and I, as somebody who was a fan of him growing up and again, you know, liking to see that those good people and, and those kind and friendly people, um, people who appreciate their fans. I, I loved that. I loved hearing that about him. Yeah, absolutely. It was a fantastic story. And thank you for sharing it with us. That was wonderful. This is why I couldn't be a GM too, because Adam would be like the two-way player, 13th, or right? 13th guy on the team. Like I keep saying for, like, yeah. And honestly, he's he's good. Like he's talented. Uh, can you imagine? Portland would love that. Let's yeah. let's start a petition for that. Let's get Adam on that team. I mean, I can think of. Let's, let's put Adam on the team. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the, we want to love and respect the guys who have also made it. So yes, let's absolutely. let's hope they have an extra roster. Create they should create a Drexler roster spot. I'm Clyde, just saying. Clyde means enough. Like, and then you would have Lillard and Drexler on the same team. Can you imagine Lillard to Drexler for an alley oop just once? <laughs> <laughs> and he could do it. Just he could to, do it. Just he, to make that can. call. I mean, I would pay big bucks to be behind a microphone and make that yeah. call. Yeah. He would just, he would be so much fun. I mean, and I think especially as a kid who grew up loving Portland and he said he still loves the team and follows the team. He's a fan of, of the trailblazers. He said, that's, that's his team. And I think, you know, as somebody who, who grew up loving the team, it's just, it's, it would be really, that would be really cool. He got to do the camp. If again, go read the article. All this stuff is in there. He got to do, you know, the camp with the, with the trailblazers, he got to play with Damian Lillard. No one knew who he was except for Damian Lillard. There's some great stuff in there. It's it, good, good stories, not to, you know, push my own stuff, but the, the stories themselves are, are really good. So you would be the only one in the Portland market who doesn't. So, I mean, <laughs> go ahead and push your stories. I guess I'm not real self-promotional. I probably under promote, but I don't know. Everybody wants attention nowadays. I love that you were able to tell the story and focus on him too. That was part of yeah. why it was beautifully written as that was. It did feel like his story. And there's an elegance and a beauty to just letting someone else have a voice and whatever voice you have cradling that or setting that up or serving that is is wonderful. Allowing people access. So I thought that was fantastic. And thanks for doing thanks, it. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. And uh, we will see you all next week. I think there's probably another four games uh, under the belt there for the Blazers. Let's hope they go more than two and two. Cross fingers. Remember, they're going to get blown out in Phoenix tomorrow. Everybody say it all together. We're going to get blown out tomorrow. No chance. There we go. Hopefully we've cursed them into a win. Either way, we will see you back here next week. A hater sees an opening down the lane. Moves towards the hoop. But then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away. Saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here and out of you. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. <laughs>